a listener production. Welcome to Allergies, where Professors Katie Allen and Mimi Tang from the Murdoch Children's Research Institute break down in detail the diagnosis, management, prevention and cure of allergies, as well as the facts and myths about intolerances and treating other diseases like asthma and eczema. We've learnt the steps in how we diagnose and manage our immediate allergic reactions and what to do to prepare for travel. But finding a solution to this allergy epidemic is what the Murdoch Children's Research Institute has been working towards for years. So Mimi, in terms of a cure for food allergies or allergies in general, where were we 10 years ago? Where are we now? And where do you think we're going to be in 10 years' time? So 10 years ago and even now, there is no cure for food allergies at this time. There are a number of treatments in development, though, that don't offer a cure necessarily, um, but do offer a range of benefits that are better than leaving your allergy as it currently stands. Well, that can actually be argued. Mm. So um, when we think about possible food allergy treatments. There are a number of outcomes that we can think about. Um, The first is something called desensitisation. This is where your underlying allergy is still present. You haven't actually changed that. The person remains allergic. But by exposing them to small amounts of allergen in a process called oral immunotherapy and building up the dose that they're exposed to over time, you can create a situation where... It's like exhausting your allergy cells that cause the allergy reaction, the mast cells, the basophils. They um, become less reactive. And so the person gets desensitised. And what we mean when we say desensitised is that there's a temporary increase in the amount of food you can eat before you react. But this state is temporary and the underlying allergy hasn't been changed. So, for example, let's say you previously were... Or Katie, we'll take Katie. So Katie, um, in in her natural allergic state, might react to, say, two peanuts. And each individual with peanut allergy ha- has a different threshold, actually. But if Katie's threshold were two peanuts and we were to give her some desensitisation treatment, um, she could potentially tolerate four peanuts without reacting. And the benefit of this to families is the idea that Um, I'm now protected against small amounts. I still have to avoid peanut in the diet. I can't introduce peanut. I still have to be very careful not to eat a meal that contains peanut. But perhaps I'm protected against accidental exposures. The um, other outcome that you could aim for, which personally as an allergist, I believe is what we should all be aiming for, is something a bit more long-lasting. And we in the medical field would refer to it as sustained unresponsiveness, which is a bit unwieldy. And so a different term has recently been introduced and suggested called remission. It's a bit like if you had Um, shouldn't use cancer as an example, but let's say autoimmune disease, you're in remission when you don't have the disease. And you're in remission as long as you don't have it until you do. Okay? So it's not a proven cure because how do you prove a cure that's in the future? But you can say that you're in remission. And that means you've removed the allergy, you can stop the treatment and still be protected. And generally speaking, what we mean by sustained unresponsiveness is that the person is protected against large amounts of the food, let's say in a standard serve, even after they have stopped treatment. So it's a long-lasting benefit after the treatment has stopped. And that's the distinction between desensitization and remission. Now, we would like to think that um, 
at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, we are working on a treatment that could offer remission. Certainly our first study has uh, shown very exciting results with uh, four out of five children who receive treatment developing this remission and going home eating peanut. Hmm. And we followed them up four years later and the majority of them are still able to eat peanut without difficulty. So the benefit that they gained from the treatment in the first instance was long-lasting in the majority of people four years later. One of the problems that I see with desensitisation as an outcome for patients is we just don't know how safe that is. So remember I just mentioned that the person's still allergic? They're protected because the threshold that causes a reaction's gone up. But the issue is this increased protection, it's not stable, it's not exactly the same every day, and nor is it guaranteed. It fluctuates up and down, a bit like the stock market. And um, There might be a level of ego boost, you know, like, <laughs> oh, and I can now have five yeah. peanuts and then... Well, it's a bit like that. You do feel... Yeah. Um, that That's the benefit of it, is that suddenly you feel like, oh, gosh, I can now eat these many peanuts. Yeah. The issue is that um, follow-up studies of people who've been desensitised show you're actually going to have more reactions taking your daily oral immunotherapy dose that maintains this level of protection than you would if you just avoided the food in the first place. And your likelihood of having an anaphylaxis reaction whilst you're desensitised is also higher than if you just avoided the food in the first place. So this is something that... Um, Readers may want to refer to an article that was published recently in the Science magazine, but it did um, present a journalist's view of the benefits and um, risks of being desensitised, and I thought it was a really well-balanced article, just highlighting that, yeah, there is some benefit because parents seem less anxious now, knowing that their child's not allergic to minuscule amounts. But on the other hand, we do need to think a little bit more about what what you have to endure um, in order to gain that level of benefit. And uh, there's always a scary story, and I don't necessarily think we should pay heed to um, an anecdote, but there is a story of a boy in Japan who was desensitised to cow's milk, and he was tolerating his daily dose of milk, which he was meant to take to maintain his level of protection, uh, and he continued to do this after he was desensitised for three whole months without a single reaction. And then out of the blue, he had a bit of asthma, which we know can make you more likely to react to the dose that you've been tolerating. And unfortunately, he developed a severe respiratory arrest that then led to a cardiac arrest. And he's currently more than a year later still on a ventilator in Japan, um, quite, un you know, with permanent brain damage. So there are these risks that, and this is one of the reasons allergists in Australia, um, Japan, the US, I should say allergists um, on, on expert committees are recommending that this treatment, oral immunotherapy, is not yet ready for clinical practice yeah. because we're not quite sure how safe it is yet. We just need to understand it a little bit better before we can um, go for it. But now Just double-checking with oral immunotherapy, is that taking a tiny, tiny dosage and then slowly building that up over yes, time? Yes, so oral immunotherapy is a regimen where you start at a low, low, low dose that doesn't cause a reaction and then you increase the dose steadily over a period of months to years to reach a top dose, which varies depending on the treatment that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And that top dose then, if you continue it, does give you some ability to tolerate a slightly higher amount of peanut 
and uh, but you're still allergic. Yeah. So if you stop the treatment, your allergy comes back. Yeah. And you then eat a nut, you will have a reaction. So that's another issue is, you know, of compliance. We know that most people find it difficult to take a daily dose of anything. And if you aren't compliant with your medication and your protection falls away, that's quite risky. Mm. When they're measuring it, you know, they're, they're adding a tiny little dose. Are they able to tell how far away that dose is from sending off a reaction or is it sort of trial and error? Well, you go on the schedule yes. of treatment and you just keep going up according to the schedule unless you have a reaction. Cool. If you have a reaction, the dose might be held at that level for a bit longer than it otherwise would. Mm -hmm. If you have a very serious reaction, the doctor might drop it down to a lower dose before building back up. Most protocols of oral immunotherapy will increase the dose every two weeks and then the patient continues on the same dose that they've tolerated for the subsequent two weeks at home, then come back into the physician's office for a dose increase again. It's also worth pointing out that um, studies like the one that Mimi um, is leading and developing, which is a you know exciting novel therapy, which includes not just the allergen exp exposure but also probiotic, is very important. And there are a lot of studies now around the world that are showing some promise, um, and that provides a lot of help, hope for sufferers with food allergy. But there is also a less controlled way of doing it. Well, I should say less controlled in that some places in the US now are offering to patients to try small amounts of multiple foods uh, to try and outgrow their food allergies because the current commercial treatments are looking just at peanut at the moment. And obviously, as, as they start to become more commercialised and more successful, the, those companies will move on to other foods. But in the meantime, patients in Australia are feeling frustrated that they can't get access to treatments. And in fact, the only treatment trial that's in progress is the one that's recently completed by Mimi and yet we've got the highest rates of food allergy. So we've unfortunately found, and I know both Mimi and I have patients who've gone overseas to start immunotherapies that are kind of homemade immunotherapies um, where the, uh, a local doctor in Utah has given small amounts of food and increasing doses to help children to tolerate the food. Now, the difficulty with what's happening in the US is one, it's a huge burden to the families. They have to pay a lot of money to go over there. They need to relocate their family for 6, 12, 18 months, two years. It's very fracturing to the family because sometimes dads stay home and mums go over um, and they have to pay for it themselves and then they have to get into the healthcare system in the US. Um, but for the treatment itself, there is some evidence that it does work sometimes, um, but we're worried about safety, particularly with it being unsupervised and what do these do families do when they come back. So recently, um, or at the start of the year, the Centre of Food and Allergy Research, of which I'm sort of the lead investigator, hosted a, a symposium where we brought families, the experts, we reviewed all the literature um, and brought everyone into the room. And at this point, we decided that if we wanted to push this area forward, we really needed to investigate it in a supervised research setting. So we're now at the point where we're saying to people, we would like to have a research-supported 
trial of these really very novel therapies, but in a controlled setting. So it's under health sort of medical supervision and allow patients to have access to different doses of these new therapies that are coming online. So, you know, there's lots of possibility, there's lots of hope for, for patients, but they really need to remember that trialling this for themselves or trying trialling it in sort of a, a backyard job is not a good thing to do because one, it might not be effective, but two, it also might be incredibly unsafe. And we do worry, as as Mimi said. Also, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. That's yeah. right. We don't know if it works, all yeah. those sorts of things. So we're now trying to move to more things like, you know, tr- um, looking at the questions of how long do you have to have these exposures to these allergens? Can you stop it once you've you've been exposed to it? How long can you stop it for? What if you miss a few doses? Uh, does the dose have to can it go quicker or slower? Can it be longer or shorter? All these sorts of dose finding um, questions still need to be answered. No real I want to jump in though because, I mean, orally immunity, Let's talk about what are the treatments in development. So one of them is oral immunotherapy that we just talked about. And there are actually lots of clinical trials of oral immunotherapy. And it's been shown that it's very good at inducing desensitization in a large proportion of patients that receive treatment. But we've discussed the issues of desensitization. The concern, well, the problem is that oral immunotherapy can only induce remission in a very small percentage of people less than a third, actually. And so what really needs to happen is we need to be searching for a therapy that can induce remission in a higher proportion of subjects. And this is where our treatment that we're trialling at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute um, is so promising or exciting, I suppose. The treatment that we've been working on is a combination of a probiotic together with oral immunotherapy. And the idea is that this specific probiotic can talk to the immune system and instruct T-cells to develop into tolerance T-cells. Sorry, just jumping in, um, what, what exactly is a T-cell? Oh, I'm sorry. So the immune systems, uh, there's several different components to it and we call them adaptive and innate. The adaptive system is the system that instructs and tells the rest of the immune system what to do. And the chief in this whole system is called the T-cell. The T-cell is, I guess you'd call them the general of the army. They tell the immune cells how to behave, how to respond to a particular antigen. So ordinarily, a person who's healthy would see a food antigen and the right default response occurs, whereupon the T-cell that comes into power is the T-helper 2, oh sorry, is the T-regulatory cell which is a cell that we refer to as the tolerance T-cell. It tells the immune system not to generate an, uh, an active negative immune response to the antigen. And you can tolerate the food and you're not allergic. In a person who's allergic, something's gone wrong. And the cell that becomes the general is an allergy cell called the T-helper 2 cell. This T-helper 2 cell then is able to... Um, instruct other immune components to generate allergy antibodies called IgE antibodies and to promote the development of cells called mast cells. And these IgE antibodies can then bind to the surface of mast cells, which we talked about in the first episode. And when um, an antigen comes along, binds to the IgE molecule on the surface of mast cell, it activates an explosion, as Katie um, nicely described, causing release of all these factors that are what results in an allergic reaction. So what we believe is happening with our therapy is that the probiotic is speaking to the immune system and 
instructing T cells to become tolerant T cells, these T regulatory cells. And over time, the number of T regulatory cells recognizing the peanut increase in number and the balance of these tolerant cells and the allergy cells shifts so that the predominance now lies with the tolerance side, not the allergy side. And so the actual clinical response becomes one of tolerance rather than allergy. And we think that once you've got that in place, it self-perpetuates. So that's why in an allergic person, it self-perpetuates an allergy response because these allergy T cells... Yeah, in the other direction. So allergy T cells produce factors that support ongoing allergy. The cells make these factors which promote more T helper 2 cells from being generated against peanut, which then perpetuates the whole allergy response. If you can tip the balance in the majority of tolerant cells, then that also self-perpetuates. It has resilience. And once you have a predominance of these tolerant cells, you're going to perpetuate this tolerance response, which we believe is why you don't have to continue treatment you can stop the treatment because now you have already shifted the balance and it should be able to maintain itself. So um, this is an exciting future for treatment of food allergy um, and we're not the only ones looking at these alternate approaches. In Sydney uh, at the Westmead Children's Hospital, a group led by Diane Campbell is investigating um, oral immunotherapy coupled with Uh, indigestible carbohydrates. The idea there being that these indigestible carbohydrates will support the growth of healthy bacteria, which in turn can make factors that instruct the T-cells in the same way we're talking about. So there are others looking at this same approach. We are lucky because... Different angle, though. It's a slightly different angle, but, you know, um, it's still signalling trying to change the underlying allergy not accepting desensitization as an outcome, reaching for remission, hoping to actually make a difference by switching off the underlying allergy. So other groups are doing the same thing. Now, I should also mention there's another treatment in development commercially um, that is a skin patch. Uh, you apply it to your skin, it's got some peanut antigen in it, and this skin patch has also been shown to be able to induce desensitization, but there's no evidence that it can induce remission. So what we have at the moment, the landscape, you said, what does it look like right now? It's good mm. because we have a couple of treatments in development that can at least offer us desensitization, which is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. And even more exciting into the future, I think we'll be seeing other therapies evolve and uh, investigated that are really reaching for that remission and possibly tolerance. Katie, as a gastroenterologist, do you see any other different perspectives in terms of what research is available, or does it sort of does it all really funnel into the into similar research and similar trials? Well, with regards to treatment, I think you know that's where it's at is um, exposing the gut to the food to make sure that they develop tolerance. That's where we think it's all happening. That happens for prevention as well. So we're trying to expose the gut and the immune system in the gut to activate tolerance. I think it's probably worth pointing out that. What we don't really know is how much to give, how often to give it. Um, There's all sorts of variations and some things are working, which is great and we should stick with that. But there may be cases where people might have an adverse reaction if they miss a a dose while other people, if they don't miss the dose, or if they do miss the dose, they don't have the adverse reaction. Some people 
you know, they can go through the treatment, probably can stop the treatment and then they'll be fine and they'll never have a problem. But it's also true for kids who naturally grow out of a food allergy. They'll grow out of it and then sometimes they'll stop eating it for a few years and the food allergy might come back. And allergists often have quite strong views about how often you should eat a food if you've grown out of a food allergy to remain in remission from that food allergy. And they'll say, I don't know, three times a week is what people often say. But I don't know if we really know. And it may be just once a week. It may be even as little as once a month. But of course, no one wants to take that chance. Don't get chance. too cheeky. Yeah, yeah, don't get too cheeky. But there's a lot of research we need to work out because it may well be different windows of opportunity. You might need to take it more regularly when you're younger and you can avoid it a bit more when you're older. Um, it may be different through adolescence. There may be gender differences. There may even be racial differences. So there's all sorts of research we need to do. But I suppose the good news is, is that five years ago, we didn't have these hopeful treatments. We didn't have the possibility of offering anything to someone to help them um, look at the possibility of growing out of their food allergy more easily and more rapidly. All we had is management, which was allergen avoidance and providing treatment if they had a an adverse event. But now um, the whole horizon has opened up and people are terribly excited about this. And it's wonderful to hear the work that Mimi's doing and other um, researchers around the world. But the food allergy can community are terribly excited by this. So we want to make sure we get it right, uh, that we get the, the fastest possible pathway to treatments. And we're pretty excited that CIFAR, um, the Centre for Food and Allergy Research, will be involved in making sure that anything that's effective and safe either gets to market or gets to the patients as quick as possible and in the, the most efficient way and the safest way. I'd like to sort of summarise something as well, because it's just struck me. What Katie said has um, led me to think we're really experiencing two paradigm shifts in the way we think about food allergy. So we've gone from managing um, a patient where you're just basically reacting to an allergic reaction and trying to avoid the food. There's been now a little shift because we've got a couple of therapies in development that might offer desensitization where we can now think, okay, I still need to avoid my food, but I do need to continue a daily treatment to maintain that. I may have some reactions to it, but perhaps it's better than an unexpected reaction, um, but I'm still allergic to sort of the future where I can see another paradigm shift happening, where we're really looking at switching off the underlying allergy, allowing children to introduce that food into their diet if they want, but they don't have to, and being able to remain protected without taking a daily treatment. So I think that's where we're heading at the moment, down this very exciting pathway. If you want to find out more, Katie and Mimi have created a free smartphone app called AllergyPower which has lots of life-saving features that can help keep your kids safe and make your life that little bit easier. Pick it up from your favourite app store. Allergies was presented by Professor Katie Allen and Professor Mimi Tang and was produced by me, Matt Dwyer, with audio production by Darcy Thompson. Join us in our next episode as we explain what anaphylaxis is and how we diagnose it. Listener.